0: Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for The Magicians Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to the Successful Mentalist podcast. If this is the first time of you guys listening to the podcast, my name's Ashley Green and I'm joined by the amazing co-host that is... Aiden O'Sullivan! Woo. Woo! Yay! Uh,
0: self-intro because again the continuity didn't last like for the if you listened last week you'll know that the, the theme tune was back and then the week before that it was good anyway moving on because today we have a fantastic episode and we say this an awful lot about the podcast and on the podcast like, oh this might be the best episode yet oh this is the best episode yet but I'm going to be completely honest and say that this is the best episode yet and, and we say it a lot but we mean it because today we've got a very, very special guest for you. You'll have you've guessed this by the title. It's none other than the incredible Ken Dine. And Ken is a, a really great thinker. And he was, uh, he was with us on TSM Live. And I, I said then that there is very few performers that are so switched on in terms of the performance and the business. And one thing that about Ken that's really, really interesting is that loads of people know him for the business stuff. They know him as the guy that, that's the email marketing guy. He does the email marketing show with him and uh, Rob Temple. But that's how people see it. But we know that his knowledge in the world of stagecraft is far beyond that. And in this episode, we actually explored that. And I'll be honest the stuff that Ken shared in this not only allowed me to see the things that everyone speaks about so much in terms of making sure that your routines flow and all of your structure is good and and all of this stuff that we somehow say but never address Ken has managed to turn this into simple processes that are easily defined that you can take away and apply straight away this has genuinely changed the direction of my mentalism for the long run I think so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I absolutely love it. How, how, what were
1: your thoughts on this, Ashley? All of that and more like, God. honestly, it's fantastic. It's so easy to understand everything that Ken says here. It's laid out in such a way which you guys are going to just be able to absorb it. And I know you're going to want to listen to this time and time again. But with this one, I'd recommend getting a notepad and pen because you want to make some serious, serious notes with this. Because this, the information that's about to be shared, This is going to be a game changer and change the way that you do your shows. But without further ado, I think we should crack straight on with the meat of the content. Like I said, if this is the first time of you listening to our awesome podcast, do remember, click the subscribe button, share it with your friends. But let's get on and introduce the wonderful Ken Dine. Hello and welcome
0: to this incredible episode of the Successful Mentalist podcast. Today, we are joined by a fantastic guest. Now, this guest really needs no introduction, but the introduction I'm going to give this guy is not only does he have the most incredible hair, but he is the only performer whose lecture I've been able to witness, whose audience member has shaved his head. That was an absolute uh, miracle. I I loved that moment, Uh, but please welcome the wonderful Ken.
2: Hello. Hi. Yes, the
1: head-shaving man. The head shaving man—that was a treat, wasn't it? It was certainly an interesting one to the uh, to the old convention and the lecture. We was watching it back, and it was like, everyone was there, so captivating. There was this one guy with a razor just, just for some unbeknown reason, he decided to whip that out mid lecture. So what a strange one.
2: It was fun. It was fun. But hey, you know, multitasking, mentalism with one hand, shaving your head with the other. Sounds like the there we go.
1: Don't really know how to weave into a podcast from there, but let's try and swing it back. So we've got you here, obviously. You've done some incredible things. And just for our audience, obviously, 90% of people will probably know you by now. But for the other 10% who might not have seen you or might have just seen the name on the internet, can you give us a quick rundown of who you are, what you do, and some of the incredible things as well that you also run?
2: Oh, God. Uh, What do I do? Um, I don't do many gigs right now. Which uh, like like many of us, I don't do any gigs. I'm I'm one of the uh, few. I don't know if I'm one of the few. I'm one of the people who has decided that virtual gigs are not for me. So basically, I've spent last 18 years, apart from the, a year blip during COVID 19, that I, I didn't do gigs. But 18 years doing shows only at corporate events, pretty much. And um, I do a stand-up comedy mentalism act. And uh, what else do I do? Yeah, and I also coach other entertainers on how to do more of the gigs that they want, and get more respect from their friends, family, and other people who think they don't, they don't really have a real job. So that's what I really help people to do by helping them increase their prices and stop the peaks and troughs and all those lulls that I think many people suffer from in their entertainment business. So I've been doing that through my program, Entrepreneur Performers in a Circle, for the past four or five years, I think. So yeah, that's been really rewarding it's my real passion project but yeah that's my, my thing and uh yeah so apart from that just literally my, the way that i actually make my living is or have made my living uh has been from performing uh doing stand-up i'm going to use the word comedy but it's uh, it's a
0: i don't know if it's truly comedy but stand-up light-hearted mentalism shenanigans shenanigans what a word what a word well th- this is really interesting because we've obviously got you here today uh we want to we want to pick your brains in terms of show structure, actually structuring shows, because this is the big problem. And we've had a couple of people asking us questions in terms of, oh, how do, how do I structure a show in a way that my audience actually gives a damn? And obviously if you've been doing this for 18 years, uh, at various different events and things, I, I'm sure there's been a lot of different lessons and things learned from you as a result of, of, of just doing and trying these different things.
2: Yeah, there has. And, and I think all of this has mostly been, well, all of it has been learned from just getting it wrong lots of times, going on stage, losing the audience's attention, the people at the back of the room. Uh, you know, if you've got even a room of like just 500 people, if they're sat around circular tables, that's four or five tables deep. And the people at the far back left and right corners, if they can't quite see you or they're not fully engaged because they think you can't see them, which we'll get into how we've solved that, they start a chat. And what happens is they start a chat and it all starts off with, oh, just just pass me that, that glass of, you know, i just refill my, do you want anything from the bar, Dave? Do you want anything from the... And then somebody else goes, oh, actually, yeah, get me the." And then the table in front of them can't hear. So they go, oh, actually, hey, would you go to the bar for me, Sandra? And then the table in front, and then before you know it, everyone's placing orders and doing different things. And now they can't hear, so they start their own conversations. And now you've lost the room. And that has definitely happened to me many many times many times and it is still the number one fear I walk on stage with every single night the idea of losing the audience and not at all because once you've lost them it's very difficult to regain them in a way that you don't come across as anything of anything professional anything good anything of credibility whatsoever so structuring our shows and it really does come down to two things one of them is structuring your show uh, and that is to do with how you structure your show in a way that gets their attention at the beginning earns their respect and maintained attention for the rest of the show and then of course the things you do along the way to change what i what the way you interact with people the pace of things and another a few little other tricks along the way that are beyond just the material and I think the faster any of us can get beyond the material we're doing not just the trick we talk about get beyond the trick and move into presentation and then beyond presentation there's this other thing which is performance craft and stage craft and how do we use that in order to amplify the experience of of what people what people witness and what they take home with them and what they what they remember about this so I think that's kind of what it comes down to.
1: Okay. So what you're saying is maybe people should study in the environments they're in, for example, like these big corporate shows, they should study how it actually works on stage and maybe get acting lessons, stagecraft lessons. Would that be one step into the right direction?
2: I mean, it can help. I think that's again, acting and stage acting and stuff, that kind of stuff to do with how you are on stage is, is definitely an element, but that is still part of, the content that is still part of what's happening in the show the other big other big thing is about really how you structure the show in a way so for example i took a lot i took a, a really often quoted piece of wisdom and opened my show by involving everybody in the audience i walked on stage got everybody to stand up and did a thing Um, I actually taught it in my Penguin Live lecture, which is my heads and tails routine. If you don't know it, everybody stands up, they put their hands on their head, they put their hands on their bottoms and you spin a coin or toss a coin and you eliminate down to one person and you've predicted predicted who will be left standing. So I did various things. I've done everything from psychological forces, um, statistical forces, people standing up, all that stuff. And the result for me was always, always, always catastrophic always. And the reason I think that is, is the same reason that I would never throw a deck of cards into the audience as my first trick. So my opening routine that I do in my show is my passed out deck where I hand a deck of cards to three different people and they each take a little peek at a card and you read their minds and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I don't throw the deck. And again, it all comes down to the same one thing, which is about creating and establishing The roles and the hierarchy within the room. When you walk on stage, you, and I don't mean this as a, you don't want to be like a a militant, hello, I'm in charge and you will bloody well listen to me. You don't have to be that. You can be really soft and you can be, your personality aside, you want to establish what I call the rules of engagement. What are the rules of engagement where, because people don't know they've never seen an act like yours before unless they've seen you before so they don't know how this works and what we have to do at the beginning is we have to do things which are entertaining which at the same time in parallel train the people to do the things they need to do they don't know at the end of a trick they're supposed to clap they don't know that they don't know to go oh or to go call me mother you know what, 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 what they don't know what to do we have to train them and we don't do that by going oh and this is the bit when you clap you don't you don't go out and go powerpoint right this is seven ways to behave during a mentalism show you know you have to do that was my impression of ashley's accent by the way um, we that that's that, that's not how that's not how it works we do it in the way we do it in the things we do and we show don't tell it's so important we hear that in a lot of mentalism and magic scripting show don't tell so at the beginning of the show my first routine always i i thought right okay i'm gonna walk on and i've got to engage the people at the back so i'm gonna do something that involves everyone great so everybody stands up think of a carrot did everybody think of carrot good um sit down so what happens then is they all sit down they go as soon as they you get it right, because they're impressed, they turn to the next person next to them and go, "Did you think of oh I don't I've really thought of this I oh I thought of cabbage I thought what did you think? What's happened now? You've immediately lost control. You've immediately lost focus because they're all chatting to one another. That's not a great way to start a show. Go and see a professional musical, a play, or anything. How do they start it? With something going on. The beginning of a film. You see James Bond at the beginning of the film. You don't see him going, oh, yeah, all right. No, you're in the middle of the action. You're in Fast and the Furious, you know, number 27 or whatever about to come out. Um, The beginning of it, you're in the action. So that's what we need to do to not lose control at the beginning. So I thought, okay, that doesn't work for me. And it took me way too long, five years, to figure that out, that I can't involve everybody in the beginning of the show. I just thought, oh, maybe it's the way I'm doing it. I'll change the script. I just couldn't make it work. So do not I don't involve everybody at the beginning of the show. And I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll involve two, two tables right at the very back. Somebody from the back there stand up, think of the name of blah, 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 blah. Somebody at the back of there think of this, blah, blah, blah. blah. What happened now is the whole room turns its back on you. So they're all going, oh yeah, what's happening? And they turn around to have a look at the people at the back of the room. So again, you've lost control. You've lost focus. You haven't established any position for where you have authority, power, or control in the room. So the only solution that I've made work is to have everybody face forward. Now it sounds really simple but to keep them facing forward. So what I do is I point to three people who are already sitting near the very front. If it's in rows, very rarely do I perform where those people are sitting in rows, but if they are, it's three people in the front row. So if it's a cruise ship or that kind of thing or a theater or whatever, in, in rows, people in the front row. If it's the circular tables, it's the people sitting nearest the stage. Or the platform or the bit of the dance floor that you're performing on because that's the reality of the situation right so uh so I point to the three people individually and I say and but I don't point to them all at the same time I don't go you you and you all step forward because again there's no clarity the beginning of our show is the time when we need to be the most clear it also is the time when we most uh, must establish the most this this control and I don't mean overbearing I want to just I don't want to make you think that's what it's like What it's like it's not so what i do is i point to one person and i make a joke about them and i do my harshest um, put downy type uh, material at the beginning of the show and actually then i become actually quite nice for the rest of the show but the beginning i walk on and i'm like you this anything da, 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 da. you know whatever jokes 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 about anything they say anything they're wearing anything anything I'm thinking about, the environment, you know, ooh, you know, did you eat the soup? Yes, no wonder you look so, whatever, you know, whatever. You know, you look like you're going to be sick or whatever it's going to be. So the first person, let's say, come and stand, stand forward. And the next person, I Hello, what's your name? Have you got any idea? No, step forward, you know, blah, blah, blah. Third person, the same thing. And then I'm going to go into the first routine, which is for me is my passed out deck. I hand the deck to each person in turn. What's happening now is this. I've established that everyone's going to be facing forward. So this is where the, this is where the show's happening. I don't need to turn around. So I'm trained. And now you'll see at the beginning of this routine, because because I'm doing a routine, which is like six or seven, eight minutes long, people start turning their chairs. Good. That means they've now realized that's where the show's happening. I don't need to be like sitting sideways. I'm going to start facing that way. The second thing that's going to happen is we've got these people in the front of the stage on the floor and I've addressed them. You can see that because of the way that I'm behaving, I'm in control of this. So you can relax. You can relax for three reasons. One, you can see that I'm confident. I've obviously done this a lot. So you know that whatever happens, I can deal with it. We're all going to have a nice time together. One of the biggest reasons people heckle at comedy shows, when you go to like comedy nights is because they don't believe the person's got enough confidence material or whatever to be entertaining so they feel this thing of, i need to fill this void because this is horrendous if you if you disprove that to begin with then there's no reason to fill the void and you'll reduce the number of heckles and we'll talk about how about some interesting heckles i had uh l- later maybe so uh and i and i do enjoy it i really do enjoy enjoy that and, and how you deal with it with your character rather than having to use heckle stopping stopping lines i don't use any hot heckle stopping lines at all um i just use my character to get out of anything. That's the whole point of the character, right? So the other thing you're establishing, this is really important, is I do not want to bring anybody up on stage the first routine, ever, if I can help it, right? And the reason for that is I want to establish that this is the place where I'm in charge. I'm the ruler of this, this, this area. So later in the second or third routine, when you come up with me, you're not going to fanny about and do anything naughty because you realize that that's the place where I belong. That's the place where I'm wandering around and chatting to people and being, you know, a little bit harsher than the rest of the show is going to be. But you realize, okay, he's up there. That's where he's in charge. And this is all unconsciously, subconsciously. They're seeing that everyone's facing the right way. No one's getting distracted. There's no reason to disrupt. And the people in the back, as long as the pace is good and there is material, which is just not, which is not just instructional material, like hold this and do that. And I've got a deck of cards here. Christ, really? Wow, my eyes, I can see them, you know. Um, uh, so, so. but what's nice is in the second routine, I'm gonna involve the people further back, but I want the people at the back to realize they're all gonna be facing forward for the rest of the routine. So that's how I begin that. So the structure of my show is always, they're in the audience, near the front, I'm on stage, nobody joins me and, it's going to be a very simple process. Have, take this deck of cards, take a look at one, remember, and think about what that card is. That is that is it. Um, and, and I want to make sure that there is no doubt. I want to also make sure the first routine in the in the show is a hundred percent bulletproof material, which I think all material in our show should be anyway. I don't want to take any risks. I mean, I'm, I'm being paid to get it right. I'm not being paid to guess and sometimes get it right because when it goes right, it's a miracle. I don't care. They don't care. Um, and I think um, at the beginning, you want to have it bulletproof, and also you also want to have it probably the most difficult to think there is a method to. Because at this point, they just go, Oh, I've just I may as well give up figuring out figuring that out. Because then for the rest of the show, they can just enjoy the show. They're not going, oh, I worked that one out. It was like a little bit of lead under his under his thumbnail, and he, he I did that thing, and he just did a doodah. Then the the next trick, they're trying to go, right, oh, I wonder how he's doing this then. So now they've changed their state of mind into being problem-solver audience member. Don't be. I want the first routine to be resistance is futile. You know, you're not going to be able to figure this out. So if you figure out in the first one, they go, oh, yeah, how the hell has he done that? Oh, okay. And then now they're in, I can just enjoy this mode. And it actually makes the rest of your material easier to do. So that's how the beginning of the show kind of work structurally
0: I love that I love that and then the the stopping them from solving problems is such a light bulb moment for uh, for me to try and actually spend more time myself to to, to stop that because it's yeah, yeah I mean there are people that after the show that I have people come up to me and they're like oh yeah so so and they and they are actively just trying to get or well, how did you do this thing but they're still in that so it's the key is that- I mean, and you can't eliminate that. Anybody who says you
2: can eliminate that thing is just not performing and not really listening to audiences because people do want to solve problems. Like they, the whole point is it's impossible and people don't, human beings by their very nature, the way we're hardwired in our brains is to ask questions and answer questions. That's literally how our brains work. So it, that old thing of like, if they're asking how, then you've done, not done mentalism, bullshit. You're not doing mentalism. You're just a person who lives with his mum on the magic cafe. That's the answer to that. Oh,
0: that's, I love that. Oh, I love that. So to just to to make sure that it's really sort of clear here, in terms of this opening, it's it's very much a case of like of the mindset as you're going out onto stage, you're not trying to win over everyone's attention. You're not trying to do something incredible to earn everyone's attention. You're kind of presuming that you've already got their attention to a degree, and you're just executing on it. Is that- Oh
2: yeah, 100%. Yeah, the moment,
0: and I hadn't really thought
2: of it that way, Edim. That's, that's a bloody great point, is yeah, the moment that I stopped walking on stage, go, right, I've got to get the retention now. That means you're, you're going in going, right, can, can I have your attention? No, 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 walk on, you've got the retention. And that brings me on the next bit that I wanted to say, which is you have to work really closely and be really helpful to the person who's going to introduce you. Because their job, and you have to make it extremely clear that the they'll come over to you and th- their job is to get everyone to shut up, be in their seat, have their attention and applaud when you walk on. If they can do those four things, you can do a great show. So how do you actually do that without coming across as a diva? So what's going to happen is the person introducing you, whether that's the friend whose birthday it is, the chief executive, a professional MC, it doesn't matter. Um, I've had all of those people do a great job and all of those people, especially professional MCs, completely mess it up. When they come to you, they will always say, is there anything in particular you want me to say or do to bring you on? And I say, oh, and I use one of my favorite psychological tricks, which is um, I create a an overbearing pre-frame, which is I say, oh, Ashley. you know what could you do me a massive favor and then I go and oh my god what's it going to be and the thing I'm going to ask them is going to be tiny but I create this prefab of it's a bit like that old thing of saying you know that the guy comes home from 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 being out and to his wife and he says oh darling I've uh I shot I shot a guy I shot I shot him I shot him in the in the face shot him in the face there's blood everywhere he's dead he's dead he's gone and she goes, what, what, what? And he goes, no, well, I didn't shoot him. I just sort of, I may as well have shot him. I actually ran him down in the car. And she was like, what, I mean, it was an accident. Oh, okay. Well, actually I didn't, I didn't, sh- I'm only kidding. I didn't shoot the car. I didn't, I didn't shoot anybody at all. Anyway, um, I was passing the shop and I bought, um, and, and there was this beautiful little dog and I thought I would get a new dog. And she's like, yeah, I love dogs. Because I've created this horrendous pre-frame right? So it it's, it's uses the same psychology as that, which is, can you do me a, me a massive favor? And the MC or whoever is is going to say, right, what, what what is it? And they kind of going, my God, what, what's this massive favor going to be? And you like really play it like, can I ask you a huge, huge favor? And they're like, oh, flipping heck, what is it? And you say, look, it's really important when I go on that I've got everyone's attention. Cause you do me a massive favor? Can you just make sure that before everyone goes up, before, you've, before you even start introducing me, make sure everyone's been for a bathroom break. So I always insist, not, not in a nasty way, I always highly suggest and recommend, oh, it'd be really good if there is always a bathroom comfort break before my show. Immediately before, regardless of what happened before it, even if they were having dinner, which means they're getting up and going down to the bathroom all the time. I always ask them to go on and say, hey, the entertainment will be starting in five minutes. It's a great time to go refill your drinks, go to the bar and go to the loo. That will save you from people doing those things during the show. So that's a really big thing. And you say, so if you could do that, that'd be great. And then when you introduce me, just make sure that everyone's back in their seats. You've got everyone's attention, um, make any announcements that you've got to make. And then if you could just introduce me once you've got everyone quiet, that would be amazing. And then they go, oh, that's okay. That's just my job. That's okay. They go, oh, that's, that's fine. No, obviously, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I can do that. Cause they're the MC or whatever. They're the, they're the MD or whatever. So um, so that's one of the things that I want to do. Cause uh, anytime that they have not, and I ha- you have to walk on, and you, have to feel like, guys, can you shut up? Like, like, how can you be the, the amazing, hilarious, or even slightly amusing, or even not amusing entertainer if you started off going shh, quiet? You know, like it's like a school teacher. So that's another really important thing for for structure. It's sort of what happens before the show. Uh, and the other thing I do is I I know, and I, I I noticed a big change when I stopped having dinner with the guests. It's interesting. I used to really want to do that because I thought, oh, networking, I'll chat to people. It'll be great. But what it actually does is it just creates lots of awkwardness, lots of awkwardness. It reduces your gravitas when you first walk on stage and you're in your suit and you're already like, you know, whatever you wear, and you're ready to do the thing and you've got kind of got status. Whereas if you were the guy who was just sitting next to Tim from accounts 10 minutes ago, then you've got no you know gravitas at all the other thing you've got to deal with when you have dinner with people is oh what do you do And you go oh i'm a mind reader oh oh don't tell him any oh God, shut and then and there's no conversation to be had there's no value of course i network after the show once i've created status of course and i even i even sell an additional package where i'll i'll network afterwards basically so corporations pay me to hang around during the drinks thing afterwards as well as an upsell for my show. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's a few things that are going on there. I can't remember the question, Aidan, but I'm sure it was great.
0: I'll be honest. I love the way it went. Do you use an, uh, an introduction, like a written introduction that you give to the MCs? Uh, yeah, we, we send one of them off. We have two different ways we
2: do it. One of them is it basically go, I think now, cause it all goes out in an automatic pack when somebody books, I think what's in there is, A written introduction, there's two written introductions and there's two like bios in case they want to include them in the pre-event material. So, and basically there's two of them because there's a long and a short is basically what it is. There's the like epic, you know, maybe 400 words version. And there's the like the four line version depending on what they want to do of of each. Uh, But we also provide an, an intro video, which is like the credibility, wham, bam. He's amazing, isn't he wonderful? kind of thing uh which again so so they can it can basically do that also that pack includes my walk on music to give to the sound and tech people just they've got it and i have all of that in just a google drive and i have the, the 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 short link to that saved on my phone so when you get at the event almost every time the tech people go yeah they didn't send me anything and you go okay don't worry and then you can just forward to them to the to the tiny url or the pretty link or whatever it's going to be so you can easily access all of that stuff so make it make it accessible so because all that pre-framing is really important but it's also i think really important to not over aggrandize yourself i think there's a lot of people i see a lot in other countries where they're like he's done this and the president said that and he's this and he's great and i think maybe it's a british thing but i think but before you walk on everyone's going yeah, yeah, let me decide if he's any good then. So one of the things I always say to the MC is, please don't build me up too much. I'm going to go on. I'm going to just faff about for a bit and hopefully they'll like it. So my intro is not very like, ooh, he's done all these things. It's more like he's interested in these things and it's almost like more intrigue and preamble to my skill set rather than he's done all these things. So that I find that more interesting than, than, than that.
1: I think that's a really fascinating tip as well. <laughs> And what I love so far that we're so far into this podcast interview and there's so much thoughts and 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 genuine gold of just how to structure just the beginning and, and also what happens beforehand. And I guess it comes down to that whole thing of if you want the rest of the show to go well, well, like you said, you've got to captivate people. You've got to get people on your side and also you've got to win over people because it boils down to the thing of why should people care? Why should people give a damn and actually... Waste the next 45 minutes or spend the next 45 minutes with you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then what you have to do from that point, of course, is keep, is, is not, is not abuse the trust they've given in you. Because if you do a first great bit and it all and it's all good and they and you've built yourself up, it's great. You then have to maintain that. And you you do that through a few different things. Let's talk quickly about how to deal with how to deal with people who might want to shout out from the audience. Because the reason I want to just relate it here is because it tends to happen to me. If it's going to happen, it will happen at the very beginning, because I haven't yet established that authority and that credibility Uh, and and that trust. So the fact that they want to come on the journey with me. So a few different things have happened. So I've done everything. My sort of style has evolved from extremely harsh, to less harsh these days. So I would, say, some of the jokes I wrote and I used to do, I would just never ever want to do. Like, I'm like, why would I ever say that? Cause I just would never do that now. Whereas now it's much more gentle. So it was an event for a company who uh, it was for like a, a bunch of schools and there's all these like tables of school teachers and school representatives and business managers at schools and stuff like that. And I walk on stage after the MC introduces me. And it was just the personal, or- it was the person organizing the, the conference, so whatever she was. And I walked on, and even before I got past, so stage left was the, the podium where they'd all been doing their little talks, and then all the rest of the stage was empty and had my bits and pieces on it. And so I didn't even get past the podium. And um, this woman just shouted from the very back. So I get on. Kennedy, music's playing, music's fading down. And all I hear is the music comes down. I'm about to go and do my first line. This woman just shouts, do me from the back. And I'm like, excellent. This is great. So you've got a few different ways of dealing with this. One of them is like, like, is like, like immediately aggressively, but the problem with immediately aggressively defending that is you come across as defensive, which means you lose control, you lose power. So what you do instead is you have to show that you don't care. You have to show you don't care. So all I did is I went from like switched on point number one posture, suit, uh, I was just next to the podium. I just dropped my shoulders, let on the podium and went, hello. Pause to think, what am I going to say? How am I going to make a meal out of this? Because what I want to now do is I want to use that. We're not going to move. We're never going to move on from that. If anybody says you need to move on from it, I think they're wasting an opportunity. And I think they're also kidding themselves because everyone's going to talk about that thing anyway, whether you talk about it or not. So why don't we use it as a thing where you actually become the star of that thing rather than the butt of that thing? So now I know when people tell the story about that thing happening, they're talking about how funny I was, even though it's all her fault. And, and I could have been like the butt of it. So the way that I used it in that moment was I just went, hello, which school are you embarrassing tonight? So, and then I said to her, and then she stood up and I said, no, please Christ, don't stand up. And then, and so again, so I'm getting like, because I know I'm just, empathizing with the audience. I haven't done a single joke. All I've done here is turned on the character of what, what are you doing? Everyone thinks you're a tit. What's wrong with you? You know, is what I'm thinking in my head. So I, and she said, I don't know what her name was, you know, Sarah or something. And I went, great, Sarah, the good news is you won't be involved in the show tonight. And that, so everyone gets another, I get another laugh. And then Every time, so from my second routine, I go into the audience to like select people and get people involved. What I decided to do is in my head, create an exclusion zone around Z- 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 and Sarah. So every time I got too close to it, I went, "Uh oh, we're in the Sarah zone, retreat, retreat, retreat. And then I would be selecting somebody. I'd say, okay, I need somebody for this. And I would look over at Sarah's, t- I mean, I couldn't even see because it was like, there's lights in my face. I just looked over to where the voice of Sarah came from and I would go, dad, dad, that." christ no and then just move on so i was getting jokes all the way through because now the recollection of that event is that that was the time when kennedy was really funny and the, because of what he did with sarah not oh i remember when sarah shouted out with oh, that guy poor guy i don't want you don't want sympathy folks we don't want sympathy that's a really bad thing to evoke from an audience Empathy's great sympathy terrible so yeah, so that's, that's kind of some ways to deal. And the great thing about having a character which you really, truly understand, and that just comes through doing it loads. You know, that's why you've got to perform more often, book more gigs to get in front of more people is so you can become more comfortable and more in-depth with your character is because you can just turn in the character. I don't I don't have any stock lines that I use for dealing with hecklers. I just react in an, with an emotion rather than a line. So the, the second part of the show is really about getting lots of people involved. Because what I'm trying to create is I, I... When you go and see a comedian, if you go and see a big comedian, maybe one of those echoey arenas, which are horrendous, but apparently people still go and watch comedy in them, you know, because like, who doesn't want to see Michael McIntyre in an aircraft hangar? Because that's really intimate and feels good, doesn't it? But you go there, you come out and people go, oh, what was it like? You go, oh, it was so funny. Unless it was Michael McIntyre. But you go, oh, it was so funny. It was, oh, God, it was so funny. Oh, what What did What did he, oh, tell me one of his jokes. And you go, what? No, can't think. I said that. a thing about a fish. I think it was about a fish. Something to do with dressing as a clown. Can't remember. You can't tell them one of your jokes, but you walk away thinking that comedian's a really funny comedian. And you go, you've just got to go and see it. Not many magicians, not many mentalists, not many variety performers at all take on that same feeling. Instead, people can usually leave our shows going, Oh, we did this thing where he had someone think of a card and then he told a story for 45 minutes and then he told them what their card was or whatever trick you're doing. Right. And so you you do, they can tell what the tricks are. And that's really strange to me because. That's not how men- maybe magic's supposed to be perceived like that. But mentalism is not supposed to be. Mentalism is supposed to be about you as a performer having these incredible abilities. So what I want to do instead is make it so they can't go. Oh, he did this. Instead, I want them to go. Oh, I saw this mind reading. It was great. It was so funny. He did this thing. Uh, he, he was just he knew what people were thinking. What did he do? Oh, I don't know. Like he just knew what people were thinking. That's what mentalism is for me. It's just that feeling of you, you, you squeeze in as many demonstrations into the time you had together, but they aren't the four tricks you know. Oh, he does these, what, what, what does Aiden do? Oh, he does these four things. He does a thing with a what's it and a thing with that. Uh, no. So the way we do that is by having it so that it all sort of melds together rather than being trick, 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 trick. So my opening routine is a standalone piece. My closing thing is a standalone piece. But in the middle, I might be doing a book test at the same as a number of, at the same time as a number of revelation, at the same time as a. So what I'm doing is I'm having somebody think of a thing, somebody else is thinking of a thing, you're thinking of a thing, and now I'll reveal that thing. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm linking, is I'm making, I'm starting one effect in the middle of revealing another one. And that means what we, what we end up with two interesting things. One is we end up in a way that the audience isn't feeling this pattern of setup, process, payoff over and over again, which is boring, because in all, not only is it boring, but it gives, and this is the more important part of that is, it gives them a moment at which to tune out. You've just revealed this thing, right? Before he does the next one, I'm gonna pop to the thing or quickly pass me that thing. I don't want you to have the chance to do that. I want it so that we are like crossfading like a DJ, mixing some massive tunes. Uh, yeah, I'm cool. In, in, in into all to one thing, because I don't want there to be a beginning and end to next thing. The second thing that it does that's really interesting is it makes it much more difficult to unpick a method. Because when you're revealing something that somebody thought of from a book and somebody else thought of something that they wrote down, it's very difficult for people to look back and go, yeah, but he couldn't have done that because she didn't write it down or whatever, because they thought of the word from the book, or did they write that one down? No, they didn't. Like, and it's very difficult for, if you're using three different routines or three different methods, like I have done events where very few weddings that I perform at, very few, like two a year maximum usually, is I'll usually do my passed out deck with a book test with um, something like a billet routine or something like that, all three of those things at the same time. So they're thinking of a thing but they're um, but they're all thinking different things, but they're all using different methods, which means it's very difficult to put together what was thought of when and how how that works. So you actually disguise your methods better and you also make it more difficult for people to just tune out because that there's been no conclusion to that thing, and then the next thing's already started because I think, a lot of a struggle to make the pro the setup process the the thought the thinking the the selection what that beginning setup interesting or entertaining you have to do it at the beginning of the show but if you never have to have that naked on its own all the better because while you've got somebody coming up on stage, that's some dead time you can be aware of. That you can go and say, Oh, and while they're on their way, Julie over there, take this book and think of a what think of a word from it or something. So you can use all of that time to be getting more hits, getting more revelations into the same period of time by melding it all together.
0: Hey there, guys, it's Aidan here from the Successful Mentalist Podcast, just interrupting for a quick second to say thanks for listening. Now, of course, if you have just got a few moments, bring out your phones, whack the the little subscribe button on. Um, Yep, you know, the one that says subscribe, just press that button. And again, you're going to get updates from every time that we drop a new episode. You'll get those notifications straight into your mobile device or wherever you're listening to us. And again, it'll help boost our stats. And get us out to more magicians and entertainers across the world which is exactly what we want anyway i'm going to leave you to go back to the podcast
1: now but make sure you subscribe yeah that's so so true and i think as well it also makes it really really boring if it's just trick 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 and that's why i hate watching so many magic shows and i think it is because and this goes back to something that you said why people actually go away from these comedy performers thinking, oh my gosh, they were funny, but they can't remember what they've done. But when they watch a magician, they go, oh, well, they've done this trick, this trick, this trick. Surely that's because a lot of magicians just go, oh, the tricks are really cool. I can hide behind the tricks. So the tricks are the miracle things, not me. And and that's where that kind of idea comes from. And, and then it kind of bounces into the fact that they just think, oh, well, this trick works, this trick works, this trick works. So I just lay them in that order instead of actually creating a show and creating a nice bit of theater.
2: And people often say, you know, it needs to be not a string of tricks, but not many people talk about how do you make it not a string of tricks? And one of the simplest ways, it's not simple to do, but one of the simple ways of thinking about it is to not do them linear, to have a setup for one thing. Okay, while while someone's writing something down is a perfect time for you to do something else. While they're doing that. So for example, if you're doing a two-billet routine, you often people will hand out the two billets and then say, okay, I want you to think of a... Uh, you know, a a flavor of, of, of something, of ice cream. And I want you to think of something else. Both write them down and guess what's now just happened. You've created stalling time when they write stuff down. Whereas instead, if you say, Hey, I want you to think of the first person you ever kissed. Will you write that down that bit of paper? Great. While he's doing that, would you please think of the name of a, uh, the last thing you purchased from the supermarket. Have you got something in mind? Great. You can write that down. And now by the time you've given those instructions, the the first person has finished writing down their thing. So you've now alleviated the dead time, but you've also create, created much more clarity. And then of course, while someone collects those two billets and does whatever they need to do with them, while they collect them and bring them on the stage, you could point to somebody else and say, great, have you got a and you move on to that next routine can be being set up, which means you don't end up with going to the end of a routine and going, right, for the next thing, I need someone too. Wow, those are the most boring words anybody ever said. Instead, it's like, where's the person with the, some, the scroll? Where's the person with the whatever? You, you've actually got interesting things to say now because you're not doing it in a linear way. And it really can be as simple as going, when is the dead time? great. Can I drop a little bit of the pre-process from my next routine into that thing? It will make my show tighter. It increases the pace, increases momentum, increases attention. And it's much more difficult for the people at the back to disengage because they can see somebody in the middle of the room holding a thing up above their head, or they're standing on their chair, or they're doing whatever they have to do for, for that routine. So, it, it solves a lot of problems by doing that really simple thing. And no, I've never read that in any of these books, which have been written on performance from magicians. Um, mostly because most of those books were written by people who don't perform as magicians. Um, so, so this is the kind of stuff that really has taken me way too long to figure out. And I'm hoping that some of some people listening will go, heck, I'm going to do that. And honestly, I promise you your show will be better.
0: You know, it's it reminds me of the uh, the thing that I learned from watching Darren Brown, and it is is that just because a trick has a reveal at the end doesn't mean you have to have the reveal at the end of that trick. And and so what we're saying here is really looking, uh, yeah. I mean, you gave a great example of the the opening and the the closing trick being standalone pieces. They should be like bulletproof, secure because they're so important. But then everything else is where we get to sort of, I, I want to say play, but at the same time it's it's not so much play as actually creating that experience and that journey with your audience. Would I be, would that make sense
2: to say? Sort of. I mean, I think what we have to do is we have to realize that I, I often use the, the analogy of like once a car, if you've ever had a car break down or you've helped somebody else with a broken down car, when it comes to a halt, the t- it takes so much more energy to get it moving again than it does to keep it moving once you've got it moving. And you don't want your audience to sort of stop moving. Oh, there's the end of the trick. Ah, good, now pass me the drink and do the thing and can I squeeze past and all that stuff. You wanna keep keep the car wheels moving so that they can't disengage and you don't have to do the hard work of getting their attention at the beginning. Because at the beginning of your show, you definitely have an unfair advantage over the rest of your show, which is they kinda wanna know what's gonna happen. But you don't have that trick number three in because they kind of know. And the other thing I think about, which I, I wrote a lot about in Ben in my book, is a lot of the outcomes in mentalism are implicit in the setup. Think of a word from this book. Well, I wonder what he might do at the end. Oh, flip a He's told her the word he's thinking of. Why we like who care? Well, who cares? Yes, we do care, but. Is it more than that? Does the word mean something? Does the book mean something? Did something else also happen at the end? Did it also happen to be a word that related to something else that we didn't see? Or was it was it more interesting than what you lead them to believe? Some of our favorite TV shows are the ones where at the beginning, we think it's about one thing and then later... It's about a very different thing. In fact, if you read, there's a really good book called Storyworthy. And what he talks about in his book Storyworthy is he talks about a really good story. One of the elements of a really good story. I'm obsessed with stories. So one of the things about stories is the beginning should be should f- have a very different feeling to what the end's going to feel like. So if the actual story you're going to tell is tragic, the beginning should be fun and funny. That's why the beginning of those awful uh, 2000s horror films like Scream and stuff, the beginning was like hey, oh my god, we're having a party it's great, and then by the end everyone's dead because that creates the contrast, that makes it actually feel like we've been on a journey we started off in Funville we ended ended up in Deathville we want to be in a different place at the end of it and so often people say, you know, our our performances we should end in a different place to where we start what does that mean in a practical sense? Like, do we end physically in a different place? Some shows do end in physically in a different place. Those immersive experiences, you might end up in a physically different place. But how else can they end? Oh, they end up with a sense of wonder. No, they don't. That's not a different place. They already had wonder in their life before we came along, folks. But do they end up thinking the show's about one thing when it ends up being about everything? Do end up, the trick starts off as one thing, but ends, you know, how many times have people brought out a photo of their dead granddad holding, you know, great-granddad holding that playing card and said, well, here's a picture of him. One, they don't believe you. Two, so what? Three, what's the emotion around that? Oh, my dead, you know, my great grand. Have something funny that happens if the ending's going to be tragic. Or have something whimsical if the end's gonna be dramatic. What is the opposite of the the emotion that's going to happen at the end? Is it going to be tension at the end? So far, I I used to do Russian roulette live on stage with four Colt Magnum revolvers. Right? So, yeah, I don't, I didn't know, Aiden didn't know that. Yeah, that's. I was one of the youngest people ever, I think, still to do that on stage. I was 18 years old. I did it for like three or four years. Um, And yeah, we loaded one of them up, and uh, the other other three were empty. Had a big stand for them. Yeah, insane. Really, I would never do it these days. It's just not appropriate. The, the reason that routine never really worked for me, I, mean, I realized it eventually it didn't work for me. I got attention out of it, I got all that stuff out of it, publicity, uh, and people went wow at the end and all that sort of stuff and were scared and afraid. But really, the better way to do that is if the end's going to be really tense, you want the beginning to be something fun because that actually creates an interesting emotional journey for people, which is what stories do. So, when people say we should look, we should study storytelling, what we actually should be doing is looking at how storytelling works, not necessarily to tell stories. I don't have a story about any of the tricks in my show. I don't say, oh, when I was six, I was really good at memorizing playing cards, blah, 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 blah. I don't do any of that. It's not interesting to me or my audiences. It doesn't fit my character whatsoever. I find it boring when I watch other people do it. Instead, but this, this, the trick itself can have a story.
0: I'm gonna be honest. You've just blown my brains there a little bit. On so many elements of show construction, uh, uh, specifically the, the contrast I never heard of things being put in in, in that way, and it, it just makes complete sense. And one of the things that we we tend to get wrapped in conversations about is that contrast, trying to be able to build tension and do these things, but actually seeing it, the journey bookending it with the contrast
2: it makes it so much easier to do, doesn't it? And it comes to all of this comes from the que- asking the question of, yeah, but how do I actually do that? Like, that's a lovely idea, but how do I actually do, do that? You know, it's like people say, Oh, you should do more gigs and you go, yeah, I should. Oh yeah. But how do I do that? Or I want to have a better show. How do I do that? Well, the tips we share that you guys share on this podcast are here to, here, here to do that, you know? And then the other thing I think that mentalists do in terms of like show structure is they tend to go right. And at the end, we're going to do a big prediction. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. That's original. Now, I'm not saying we should never do a big prediction at the end. Yes, you can definitely do a big prediction at the end, but can you make it actually interesting? Is it there for a reason? Is it going to be, ah, but then at the beginning, and then this happened and that happened, you didn't see that, and it's subconscious, and I'm, yeah, your poor man's Darren Brown. Like, there are other ways of doing it. And one of the things I think it took me a long time to figure out. Hopefully this helps somebody. I really hope it does is I don't think about the show in increasing impossibility. A lot of people say that your show needs to get more impossible. I don't think that's true. And the reason I don't think it's true, there's two things I think actually do work. The first thing you do, if it's the weakest thing you're gonna do, why would you make the weakest thing your first impression? Why would you do that? That's insane. As I turn over to a date and farting, isn't it? It's like going, here's the worst bits about me on your first date. Why would you do that in front of an audience? It's insane. So instead, why don't you show them your second best thing? Because you're going to show them your first best thing later, right? So so on on the date, you're going to show them your second best thing to begin with. You're going to put some nice clothes on. You're going to do your hair. You're going to drink some fancy tea if you're Ashley, something like that, or fancy coffee. Instead, you're going to show me your second best thing to begin with, because you're going to establish. Are you okay, Aiden? Aiden's Aiden's lost it. Aiden's. Aiden, are you okay, Pet? <laughs> oh, oh,
0: just yeah. You, I'm
2: sorry. You just you're happy there. That was too funny. I love that. Um, what you're going to do instead is you're going to is, is you want to do your second best thing first because you're going to establish credibility you're going to establish how good this stuff's going to be and that's going to work. and by doing your second best thing first it makes the next routine the stuff in the middle which is your third fourth and fifth best thing look better because they believe you now they're like wow he's really good and so they go oh he is really good or she is really good now they believe you it's a bit like you know when you you say something funny and then everything you say after that is just funny it's the same thing it's the same thing so and then you're going to do Your best thing, I'm going to come to what I mean my best thing, at the very end. And I always used to think that the best thing was the most impossible thing. I don't think it necessarily is the most impossible thing. The way that I look at my show structure is actually to do with energy. Now, I'm not going to get all spiritual on y'all here at this point, folks. But but what it really is for me, it's about energy. Because at the end, how do you want them to feel? Because people remember how they feel. That's actually all we really remember. They might not react. That's that old thing about people don't remember what you say or what you did, but they remember how you made them feel. It's a classic thing. I can't remember what it's from, but it's from something. It's probably true because it was written down, you know, everything books is true. Um, So, so what how, how do you want people to feel at the end so at the end of my show i want them to think that i'm kind of mad i'm kind of out of control i'm not under a script i'm i'm real i'm frustrated and i've got these mad skills with my head with my brain that's what my proviso is for my for, for the that's what i want them to feel at the end of the show like this was high energy i had fun it was great yeah and i want more that's what i want them to feel at the end of your show, you might want them to feel that. You might want them to feel like, whoa, like I never thought of my personal security in that way before. I never thought about protecting my identity. Like, oh, that's really hit me hard. Or you might, want them to, you might want them to feel like, whoa, it's incredible what you can do with your mind. Or what, what is it you want them to feel? And then your last routine needs to make them feel that, not just by the trick you do, but by the energy, the pace, the content, the script, the framing, the story, that everything about that needs to do that. So I close my show on my version of a a deck memory routine, which involves like loads of people. And it's, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's really fast and it's funny. And I get really annoyed at people and I end up screaming in some guy's face because he apparently gets it wrong when I actually set it up in a way that he always gets it wrong every single show. So I get annoyed at him and all this sort of stuff happens because that's, that does all of that. It's a lot of energy and it's really credible because at the end of the show, I want them to feel like this is credible. And this is, this is probably real. This is probably, everything I just saw was probably real. So that's what I want them to feel. So that's what my, that's why my fast paced memory, Routine at the end works really, really well for me uh, because that's what I want them to feel. So the end of the, so it's not the most impossible thing because actually the, the the apparent method is that I've memorized a deck of cards. That is not impossible. That's very probable. It's very based on what you've just seen me do for the last hour or what, forty minutes. is probably is probably possible for me. So it's not the most impossible thing. You're not building impossibility. That is completely pointless. I think it, everything needs to be impressive though. Everything needs to be impressive in the show. We can't go, Oh, I'm gonna do the really impressive stuff at the beginning and the really, really, really impressive stuff at the end. Uh, What's the stuff in the middle then? Oh, it's just me polishing plates. Oh, great, why why am I doing that? So uh, it needs to all be really impressive. So so yeah, for me, it's about how do you build the energy? At the beginning, I wanna be fast. In the middle, I'm gonna bring the energy down so everyone leans into me. And then at the end, I'm going to bring the energy right up because I want them to feel that difference. The other thing I do structurally as well as energy—actually, any questions about the energy thing? Do I say anything about energy before I talk about shapes?
1: No, I think you've summarised that perfectly. And I think going off that, instead of impossibility, is going to be an eye opener for so many people listening to this because so many people think, "Oh my gosh, it's the best thing!" Because it—it seems, oh my gosh, it's just—it's—it's it's amazing for me. But that's where they're stuck they're not thinking what's actually good and amazing and and enjoyable and entertaining for the audience so basing it off the energy factor wow
2: yeah yeah it's interesting yeah it is it is and so the the next thing that i like to do for the show is make to, to create more variety how do we make it feel like it's there's lots of variety because at the end of the day, what we're doing is basically getting people to think of things and telling them what they're thinking of over and over again, or, or sometimes predicting things or, or whatever, influencing stuff. How do we make it seem like a more variety? And one of the You can do that in lots of different ways. You can do that with energy. One of the things, I did a workshop two years ago in Brussels, uh, about uh, about stagecraft and, I, and I, I showed people how to, the different types of energy there are as a performer, which I, I specialized in voice for acting when I was doing my my degree in performance. And one of the things we talk about a lot is the different types of energy and two, two, two real extreme types. Uh, there's one called potency stretching, which is like the kind of thing you'd see um, uh, I can't remember his name, cause that's really rude, Rob, Rob Zabrecki doing, where it's very like stretched and like lurch-like. And then you've got people who are like much more Zen and like almost stoned looking. Like those are two very different types of energy and you can use those two different types of energy in, in one show, in one trick, to make it feel like there's more variety. So how, are the, how are many other different ways of variety are there? Because again, variety keeps attention. So how else can we do that? One of them is with this idea that Paul Daniels taught me, which is the way that he thinks about his shows, which is to do with shapes. And that is my first routine. The shape is, it's it's a line that goes from me, it's a triangle. So it goes from me to the person to my far left, who's going to do the passed out deck with me, across the row of people to the person on my far right. And then it comes back to me in like a triangle. Does that, Make sense in everyone's minds? Yeah. Whereas my... So if that's the shape of the first trick, we don't want every trick to look like that. So if your next routine is something where you get four people up on stage and they all put their hand into a bag of different colored balls and you're going to figure out which one's got got the gold ball, which is one of the routines that I do... The, the, the reason that's an interesting routine is because the shape is different. It's actually just a straight line of me standing stage left and then four people standing stage right next to one another. That's a different shape. And then the next routine might be one person in the audience. And that's a, that's a straight line from me to them. So what we want to do is make sure that the routine, even if some of your routines have the same shape, don't put the same shapes next to each other. There was one show I did where I had, I was thinking, why is it just not playing very well, this show? And it's because I had a chair test followed by a who's got the gold ball routine. They're both the same shape. There's, even though it's about a totally different thing, this is about the order in which people th- sit, and, the, and it's about prediction. And the next routine is uh, about me reading people and a bag and balls and it's, it's mind reading and, and that kind of thing. It's a very different skill. People are standing, not sitting, but it's the same shape. And it potentially has the a similar feel energy-wise as well. So think about our shows as different. And you can do this close-up as well. Like, this is not just a stage thing. And all the things I'm talking about here, by the way, absolutely apply to close-up. Think about, like, don't go, oh, this doesn't work for me because I don't perform stage. No, it 100% works for you. In fact, it probably works more for you because you're doing a lot of shorter sets. So... I know Aiden and, uh, and Ashley. I think you both do quite a lot of close-up stuff, right? So, so we think about the shapes. Like your first routine might use three people around the table who are all drawing little pictures, and you collect them in. Well, that's great. That's like a triangle. Then the next routine shouldn't be a triangle because that creates it makes it more interesting. So, how do you how do you create these different shapes throughout your show, which are subconscious to you, but the all the audience sees in their mind is this was lots of variety. This was different. This was interesting. Do
0: you know what? The, the, I, I I genuinely don't know what I was expecting as we as we walked into this discussion, but genuinely, this information here is changing my outlook on all of mentalism. And I'm not just saying that because you sat right in front of me. I genuinely think, like the shapes, never would have considered it, but it's already making me think that yeah, I, I've I've got a load of triangles, yeah, in my show, and I I don't like triangles anymore. Pythagoras theorem does not work here.
2: No, no, yeah. I don't care about your a squared or your c squared. your hypotenuse sort of. Yeah,
0: that's the best way. No, there, there was something that you that you said at the start of this call that, that really interested me. And kind of why why none of this matters. Yeah,
2: well, actually, none of what we've just talked about for the last seven years uh, on this podcast episode, which is how long it's been, I think uh, we've had uh, people won't know this, but during this, we've had some really interesting things happen. We've had literally a catastrophe where my cat jumped all over everything and it was mad. So luckily, the editor of the show is flipping brilliant. And you didn't notice a thing, did we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So yeah. So well, yeah. The thing is, this this stuff doesn't matter really. Because the thing I said at the beginning about everybody standing up and doing something collectively together works really well for some of my friends. And I know people who only do predictions in their show. And I know people who do, I've, I've got friends who are comedians who do their show standing on a chair in the middle of the audience. So they break that rule completely. Uh, So none of this matters. None of this does anything because actually what you'll find is you'll try some of this stuff and you'll find it doesn't work. And the only reason it doesn't work is not because you're a bad performer. It's not because of anything you've done. It's just because of who you are. And all you've got to do is try more stuff, find more ways that don't work and find the, find the thing that really does work for you. Yes, having variety is really important, but there will be ways of having it so your show is just the same thing over and over again, and it could work with the right other considerations because for every consideration that we've made here, there'll be ways of compensating for them through something else. So you don't. there's none of this stuff which, is the way to do it i think that's a terrible terrible way of doing anything because you have to find your way you have to find you have to learn some of these tricks some of these techniques that we've talked about to be aware of them when you're learning anything when you're learning how to be a better voice vocal performer you learn all the techniques, but you have to learn them so you can break the rules, but you have to learn the rules first. You have to know what the rules are to begin with. So which of these are you gonna pick from? Which, one, which of them are you gonna play with and go, let's see if that works tonight. And please just pick one thing at a time don't pick loads of them. Go, okay, tonight or today I've got that gig and I'm going to do the shapes thing. I'm going to move that trick to there and that trick to there and just see what see how I feel about it, see how the energy is like. And you have to decide on how will I know if it's working? One of the things that I teach my entrepreneur performers in a circle members, when they're looking at their business and they're looking at any marketing thing is, it's great and okay to say, I'm going to try running Facebook ads. I'm going to try and do a podcast. I'm going to try and do all these different things. But I say to them, great, that's fine. You can decide, but you can't do it. and won't allow you to do it until you tell me, how will you know if it's working? Because otherwise you're throwing money, time, resources, effort, energy, love, passion. You're, put, you're putting all these resources at something without knowing what you're expecting it to look like, if it's good or if it's bad. So you have to decide, I'm going to test this one thing. And then how will I know if it's working? And sometimes it will be a number. It'll be, there was louder applause. It'll be really measurable. Sometimes it won't be measurable. It will just be a feeling and that's okay too. So what am I going to test? What am I going to play with? What am I going to try? What am I going to change? And how will I know if it's working?
1: Ken I just want to say that is beautiful like honestly honestly what you have shared today is absolutely incredible and I just want to say honestly thank you for addressing first of all all of this and also making it so so much simpler to understand for people so that they can just go oh my gosh this is this is so obvious to me now because so often we can we can talk to people about all of this stuff but it's not made simple and you've just outlined it so clearly so detailed and 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 what you've been saying about how you structure your show, the things you do, is just honestly, you've heard it from Aiden. It's changed his outlook on mentalism. But I've just been sat there just thinking, This is gold. This is gold. This is gold throughout. I think we say it, Aiden. Every time we have a podcast interview, we say, This is a podcast, yeah. Best podcast. Yeah, this is the best podcast yet. Ken, I'm gonna say it again now. This is the best podcast yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Colin Cloud. This is the best one. Colin, this one. There we go. So, if people aren't interested in Colin Cloud and they're interested in you, Ken, where can they find you? You don't need to choose.
2: There are there is there is a lot of Colin Cloud in all of us. Hey, those are the days. So, uh, so if you want to find out more about about me, and if you want to actually not even about me, if you actually just want to um, talk more about how to be a more enterprising performer, book more of the gigs that you want to do and get more respect from the people around you for having an actual business and you want to figure that stuff out. If you go to Facebook and literally look for the group, it's called Enterprising Performers it's a free Facebook group. Just join, uh, just join that. On the way in, I'll give you the opportunity. I'll say to you, hey, do you want to give us your email address? you receive my daily emails, which I send every single day, Monday to Friday, with an inspirational story and a business tip to help you put all this stuff into practice for your business. And Then and you'll be able to do that as well. So yeah, go to Facebook, look for Enterprising Performers,
0: and it'll be a pleasure to have you in there. And there we have it. I... Said this at the start, and I will stick by it right now. This information has changed the way that I see mentalism for the long haul, and I'm I'm hoping that you felt that way as well. Because there's so many different tangents, and as Ken said, don't try and focus all on uh, all of this at once. Just pick one thing and and really play and explore with that and. Don't be afraid of failure. I know we spoke about that at the start of the episode, like going out there and being willing and ready to to fail and learn from those experiences. That's a real big takeaway that I just want to throw back in at the end. But honestly, I love this episode. How
1: did you find it, Ashley? Yeah, honestly, like so, so good. Like this is the stuff which is why... People are actually going to give a damn about your performances, your shows, whatever the hell you're doing. This is the stuff which is going to get you remembered. And as a byproduct, well, this is going to get you more work. You're going to get more gigs. You're just going to be known as that better entertainer that more entertaining entertainer you're going to be doing your job better you're going to be better at every single thing you do and it starts with the basis and foundations of show structure that was discussed today absolutely phenomenal and i know this episode is going to be a game changer for so so many people but this is coming to the end of today's podcast. So I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to the amazing Ken Dine. If you guys did enjoy this podcast, go and check out all of the incredible work that Ken is doing for magicians right now. And also, if you enjoy our podcast, you enjoy what we're doing and you want to support us, then just scroll down at the bottom of your podcast provider. Leave a little review on your honest thoughts and what you think about our podcast. And honestly, that is the best way to help us out. And it would honestly mean the absolute world to us so with that said thank you so much for listening to the successful mentalist podcast we'll see you guys next week for another exciting and brand new episode hey it's aiden
0: here i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player that way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way Also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called The Magician's Business Group, and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside. So to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group, and the magic of the internet will take you straight there. Or just pull open Facebook and search for The Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven-minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, Momentum. If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in Magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum, and we'll send you all of the details.